Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Scratch, the show where we let real stories out. The following is a legacy episode, back when the show used to be called Tuesdays at 2 from 2019. This exact episode actually has not aired yet as part of Tuesdays at 2, and is going to be one of our longer legacy episodes that you get to enjoy. Are you itching for a good story? Welcome to The Scratch. This is episode 11 of our Legacy series and is an interview with Greg Coker, the author of Soft Skills Bootcamp, Building Cathedrals, The Power of Purpose, and Healing the Wounds, Forgiveness and Reconciliation in the Workplace. Greg Coker has been a Vidmonster client for some time and is now recording his audiobook with us here in our audio studio. Enjoy this never-been-released podcast of Greg and I having a conversation about the power of soft skills and in employing those tactics to become a more effective and productive business owner, employee, and all-around person. We're, we're excited as the show is continuing to grow to have people of your prestige coming onto our show. So for, um, for those out there uh, who don't know um, about, uh, maybe I'll just paint a, a picture, I guess, of, of how we met. So um, early on, we were producing uh, video content, trying to connect as many people as possible. Um, we got in contact with Greg uh, as he had completed his soft skills field manual and wanted to bring a video component to it. Um, and through that have forged quite a relationship. Um, Soft skills to us, to our organization, has become something that we have just taken full bore and seen the benefits of, of utilizing that and utilizing a lot of the things Greg talks about, whether that be employee engagement, customer service, um, all of these different elements. Um, but I can't speak to it as well as Greg can. So Greg, for those out there who have heard of soft skills, maybe briefly, um, let's kind of take a bird's eye view, I guess, of what soft skills is and how that kind of weaves into the topics uh, that you're you're writing and speaking on now. Okay, Sam, again, honored to be here. Um, I know you're on to something. I love podcasting, and you and I were talking earlier. I, I travel. I put 40,000 miles uh, a year on a car and travel quite a bit, uh, airplanes, and, and I love podcasting. I love music. Uh, but after a while, you know, I just I just want to be motivated. I want to listen to people like you and other people that I can learn from. So, um, as you mentioned, our relationship. If you if you remember, I was looking to do a video version of my soft skills field manual, and I looked. I was living in Lexington, Kentucky area at the time, and I explored. A lot of old people that that do what you do, which were a lot more for a lot more uh, expensive, not as affordable, and and didn't have near near the experience as far as I think what the trends are now. So, reached out I think on Facebook, and someone said you've got to go talk to this uh, VidMonster company. So I did, and uh, you you were awesome, are awesome. You all have done probably. Gosh, eight to ten videos, I think, now we've worked together eight on. Eight to ten, not just videos, but like series. Like, there's been quite a few. Quite a few series, and you all do great work. Uh, you're more than um, a provider, a supplier, you're a partner, and I appreciate that. Uh, soft skills. There are hard skills, and there are technical skills, and there are soft skills. I would be the first to say the hard technical skills are the most important in a business. I wouldn't have called you if I didn't want your hard technical skills, your videographer, art and videography, uh, the quality of work you do, period. Uh, 
However, absent the soft skills, I would have gone probably somewhere else because the way you and I connected, I, I tell people, people buy on emotion and justify with fact. People buy on emotion because you and I connected. I liked you personally. I think you liked me. We connected. And then I go back and justify why I want to use VidMonster versus one of your competitors to my partners. When really the, the real reason I end up using Sam and using you and your folks is because of the emotional connection, the soft skills. So there are hard skills, there are soft skills. Uh, there's been several books written about soft skills, several books written about emotional intelligence, uh, about grit. Angela Duckworth has a book called Grit. I love the book Grit. What she basically says is that your, your grit, your EQ, your emotional intelligence is a better predictor of success than your IQ. And I agree totally. You have to be smart, smart enough, but there's a lot of um, or non-functioning smart people out there that we all know. Mm -hmm. There the, are a lot the of capability folks, of building relationships is is key. Is key, and there's a lot of not overly smart people like me who have done pretty well. People like you who are very bright, brighter than me, and have done well or are doing great things. Well, I would I would counter that. We're we're bright and different. In different ways, we're, there's a we're, lot of skills and talents you have that I, I don't. I don't have the focus and the drive to sit down and write a book. Like we talked about, I can't do that. Everyone has a book in them. It's just a matter of being motivated to write the book. I've studied motivation for 25 plus years. The greatest motivator is fear. I am an accidental writer. I, I my books are not War and Peace. 85% of readers only read the first 15 pages of the book. 85% of the readers only read the first 15 pages, the first couple chapters of a book because professors who write books, other people who write books, write books to be published, not to be read. Mm -hmm. And there's a running joke of folks who get their PhD. I don't have a PhD. I have a master's. I have a PhD in, in life skills. Uh, hard knocks, uh, but there's a running School joke hard that, knocks. that people who do their dissertation have to give one copy to the school they attend, the Library of Communication or Psychology or whatever. There's a running joke that if you put a $100 bill on page 100 on the copy of your dissertation and put it on the bookshelves in 25 years, you can go back and the $100 bill will still be on page 100 because nobody <laughs> will read it. I'm an accidental writer. The only reason I've, I've written three books, the first book was an accident. Well, it was an accident. It was I, was, I was motivated by fear. I had been fired in corporate America. I was hired by a great leader and fired by a great manager. And for me, I had to write my story. And fear in that I had to be able to package my skills and background to be be able to provide for my family mm -hmm. uh, and, and praise god uh, all honor and glory to god he's given me a lot of stories a lot of um, experiences that i just happen to be able to package it into uh, three books so that's awesome
So talk to us a little bit, I guess, about where the um, the inspiration to do uh, the first book, which I don't have a physical copy of here, but uh, Building Cathedrals, The Power of Purpose, where that came from and kind of where, where that leads us as far as soft skills field manual, working in corrections, working in all of these different places. And then where I ultimately want to land uh, is talking about your uh, new book, which you told me just finalized this morning. It's complete as of about five hours ago and I, i'll talk a little bit about how book gets published i had no idea um, I, my background um, corporate america 15 years at&t uh, four years recruited by our governor uh, to be a regulator a government regulator i was then hired off as, as being a government regulator i was hired by an energy company uh, by one of the greatest leaders i've ever met um, not because he read a lot of leadership books. It was natural for him. I talk a lot about emotional intelligence. There's a lot of definitions for EQ, emotional intelligence. My definition of emotional intelligence is what happens to the oxygen when you walk into the room. And we've all been around those folks, and when they walk in the room, you jump up, you want to love on them, they want to love on you. You just your day is brightened as a result of of being in the room with that person. That was that guy. We've also been in rooms or when someone walks in, when they walk in, the oxygen is depleted. The guy that hired me was one of the greatest leaders. When he walked in the room, the oxygen enhanced. The guy who fired me was a great manager, not a bad person, but a horrible leader. When he walked in the room, the oxygen depleted. Um, not a bad guy. I think everybody's had experience with, with a, uh, a manager with those limitations exactly who, who isn't who isn't but also at the same time thinks that they still maintain that eq that they don't and that even becomes more of more of a detriment so i think we've, we've all experienced that and that's one of the things i really like about um all of your your writing especially when talking about like the management versus leadership is that it's something that we've all experienced most companies hire oh no most companies promote people into authorities of leading other people that were great managers perhaps or great engineers or great technical skills the hard skills but they're horrible at the soft skills and i'll give you an example without mentioning the company's name is uh, i am now a customer of a, of a particular company in this community left a, a note once i signed up for service a little note saying was in the office you're Folks at the front desk were phenomenal, honored to be back in my hometown, you know, sincerely Greg Coker. And my name, my website, I mean, it was a little bit self-promotion, but it was more of a sincere thank you for being for me being a customer of yours. Mm -hmm. That was probably a month ago. Never, ever, ever have received a call back or a little note or an email from the CEO of that particular company. That's lack of soft skills. And he is probably a phenomenal manager, but not a very good leader. People connect. I mean, that's low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. If someone leaves you a note or an email, I'm busy, you're busy, but I'm never too busy within 24 hours to acknowledge the phone call, to acknowledge the text, to be able to say, can I call you next week? Love to hear from you. Or just say, he could have easily emailed me and said, hey, Thanks for your service. If I can ever be of service to you, don't hesitate to call me. 
not come on in. I want to have you come leadership training for our company. That's not the reason I left the note. So mm-hmm. there, there are so many people out there that, that confuse management and leadership. It's not management or leadership. It's management and leadership. If you are in an organization, you have to manage things. You lead people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's basically, if there was a theme of all three of my books, is people buy on emotion and justify with fact. You've got to be management and leadership, not or. Uh, it's the soft skills. It's the grit. And if you know you can manage, if you love, you can lead. And, and I am a firm believer. You have to instill love into your culture. If you don't have a culture, a spirit in your company, your company will be marginally effective. It'll never be a peak performing company if you don't have that spirit Mm-hmm. Call it culture, call it spirit, call it whatever you want. I can smell it. I can taste it. I can feel it when I walk into your company. And that's one of the things that we had even thought about since we started, you know, creating this content where you talk about these things early on. We had thought about our company culture, maybe a lot earlier than startups think about. Um, and, and culture isn't necessarily something that just happens by accident either. Um, you talk a lot about how um, it's, it's not even necessarily created either, but it's nurtured in the right way. Exactly. When I walk into your your uh, building today, um, it, it, I can feel the culture. I can smell the culture. Your folks downstairs are editing. Every one of them got up from behind their desk and came over and shook my hand. They're busy. I didn't expect that. I, I just simply said, how are you all doing? They all stood up. They all came over. They greet me when I walk into the facility. The way I call it the psychology of the greeting. The way you greet someone when they walk into your business will establish customer loyalty. And also the exodus. Now, I give AT&T a hard time. I used to work for AT&T. I used to actually with Bell South at the time. Mm-hmm. And I give them a hard time. It's not the same company anymore. But one thing they continue to do to knock it out of the park at their cellular stores, they greet you when you walk in. The Apple store greets you when you walk in. AT&T, what they do is they will walk you out and open the door for you when you leave. I don't think Apple does that. Apple greets you. They do a great job. But the feel of Apple, the feel of Starbucks, I do work with the career centers. And they used to call them unemployment centers. When I was unemployed, when I went through the line, it felt like an unemployment center. It felt like an unemployment office. It felt, it felt like prison. It was concrete slabs. It smelled. It wasn't the right culture to motivate me to be my very best after the fire in my life, was, which literally was being fired from corporate America. Now Your fire, uh, your fire was literally getting fired. My fire was literally getting fired. Now folks <laughs> like Robert Boone, who you need to have Robert on this, I mean, mm-hmm. he is a rock star. What he's done with the career centers now is they, they are a lot more entrepreneurial. They're more optimistic. When I walk in into a career center after being laid off or displaced or whatever you want to call it, downsized, I was fired. When I walk into that facility, I need to be motivated. I need for it to feel like Starbucks. 
A theme of a theme not of refuge, but of opportunities. Kind of more appropriate. I'm already depressed. I mean, I'm at the time, not now, but I was already depressed. <laughs> you don't. I, mean, I was about to say you don't seem very depressed I'm right now. Depressed. You seem like you're, you're in a good mood. You finished that book up. Got the new new place all ironed out. Moved here to Bowling Green. We're happy oh, to have you. And, and other than having a big gash in my forehead where I hit my forehead sure. on a branch this weekend, but 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 when I, when you walk into a career center. You need to feel optimistic that the folks behind that counter are going to help you. And what Robert Boone has done is exactly that. Other part, other people in the state are modeling that. But I call it the psychology of the greeting. The way you greet people when they walk into your place of a staff, your business, the way you walk them out, that's the soft skills. And the first book was called Building Cathedrals, A Power of Purpose, based on a, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Wren, what I'd never heard of. Christopher Wren is known in England as one of the greatest architects in history. He was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral after the Great Fire of 1666 that leveled London. One day in 1671, he observes three bricklayers on a scaffold. The first person, what are you doing? That guy says, I'm working, I'm a bricklayer, totally disengaged. The second bricklayer, when asked the same question, responds, I'm building a wall. Happy about the wall, didn't see the big picture. The third bricklayer, the most productive of the three, the future leader of the group, when Christopher Wren asked the question, what are you doing? With a gleam in his eye, he exclaims, I'm building a cathedral to the Almighty. Mindset. The mindset. It's all mindset. And, and that came to me, Sam, in the unemployment line. So when I went home, I could not get that story out of my mind. And that was what led to the first book. I've never been a big reader. I definitely wasn't a writer. But, but a monkey could have written that darn book. Once you look at the metaphors of, of the leadership of Christopher Wren, who was a leader in addition to being a manager, he was clearly a manager, he was an architect, he was an engineer, he was a scientist, but he was a leader. He got out from behind his desk on a busy Tuesday morning when he was too busy to get out from behind it. But the leader in him says, no, you get your butt out of your office and you go ask those folks, what are you doing? You know, the first one, I'm working, I'm a bricklayer. We've all felt that way. The second one, what are you doing? I'm building a wall. I do that every, I focused on, I focus on what I do, write books and do motivational speaking. It's more than that. The third one, I'm building a cathedral. It's more than that. So the first metaphor is leadership. The second metaphor is the fire, because he was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral after the fire of 1666 that leveled London. Pre-1666, London was horrible. 10,000 people a year down the plague, the number one cause of the plague, rats and fleas, disease rats and fleas. After the fire, the rats and fleas were eradicated. And the leaders of London, the leaders of, of your company said, let's make this place the best it can be, and they did. So now I've got a redemption metaphor. And then the, that's the first metaphor is leadership of Wren. The second metaphor is redemption of the fire. Third metaphor or metaphors are the bricklayers on engagement. So I went, oh my gosh, I've got a book here. And I wrote a book. I'd never written a book before. And we were on our six printing and NPR has done a local NPR station did a story on us. And, and then I, the, the second book is soft skills field manual based on what employers were then telling me, Greg, we can teach them hard technical skills, but we can't always teach them these soft skills. And I thought, you know, I've been teaching these soft skills. So I thought maybe I should write another book. And I wrote another book. And the third one is called, which is final today. It should be on bookshelves here in the next 30 days. It's called healing the wounds, forgiveness, and reconciliation in the workplace. Because I'm convinced most organizations are not reaching optimum levels of performance for numerous reasons. But one crucial reason is because people 
are not forgiving each other in the workplace. And if they forgive each other, they're not reconciling. Mm-hmm. Because most people think reconciliation means resolution of the problem. It doesn't. So when I do these workshops, I'll have everybody in the room. If there's somebody in this room that's made you mad, it's pissed you off, excuse my French, but if that's what I mean, if that's what they've done, forgive them. Number two, reconcile. But number three, don't discuss the past. Unless you just both agree you need to. But most of the time, all it needs is for you to maybe send me an email or a little note saying, Greg, would you like to have lunch next week? Or maybe coffee. And I'm like, you know, and if I know we're not going to discuss the crap, I'm like, you know, it's time for we get over this. It's a business issue. Even within organizations, like I know, especially for like smaller companies like ours, whenever there's been any interpersonal issues that are not either forgiven or reconciled, they can slow, like, I know that they can snowball and, and you know, cause issues with a large company, but even for smaller to moderate sized companies, like it, it it's maybe more so. Yeah. Maybe more so because a smaller company, you see each other a lot more frequently than maybe in a bigger company. And, and where I learned, not the way I learned this, but but a, but a ritual, it wasn't quite a ritual, It was, but it was a ritual, uh, about a mile and a half down the road here at, at 1215 Chestnut Street, the Sigma Chi fraternity, which I was a member, every Sunday night we would have fraternity meetings. At the end of our fraternity meetings, we would go around the room, and before anybody freaks out and thinks I'm you know, giving ritual out, which you can go online and <laughs> Google any fraternity ritual and you can pull them up. But we're, this is not ritual. But it's a secret. It, it's not a, well, it's not a secret. But I bet, other fraternities, I bet other fraternities out there in stories probably did, did this as well. But every mm-hmm. Sunday night, we ended the meeting by the oldest fraternity member walking over to the pledge class or the new pledge class. They were already activated. The new members and me looking you in the eye and saying, Sam, I seek your friendship. And the only response was for you to look me in the eye and say, Greg, you will find it here. And then the, then that person goes to the next person. Carl, I seek your friendship. Greg, you'll find it here. And then after he goes all the way around, then you, then you model it and you go to the person next to you. So at the end of the meeting, after it took about an hour and a half, two hours sometimes, at the end of the meeting on a Sunday night, every member, and there was probably... 50 or 60 of us, every member looked every other member in the eye and said, I seek your friendship. And the other person says, you'll find it here. It was almost saying, I'm sorry for anything I did this week to make you mad. And then the other person said, I forgive you. That was basically what we're doing. So guess what happened? The brilliance of that is on Sunday night, it was over. And on Monday morning, we started fresh. And I've actually duplicated that exercise in companies where 75 healthcare executives went around the room one at a time, looked each other in the eye, I seek your friendship, you'll find here. I seek your friendship, you'll find here. And it was, it was the most cathartic exercise I've ever seen. People were crying. Hmm. And I suggest with companies, why not on a Friday afternoon, every Friday afternoon, simply debrief what happened this week what did we do well this week where did we get stuck this week if we got stuck what do we need to be doing next week to be even more effective mm-hmm. okay and then before we leave we're going to go around the circle and everyone's going to look at each other in the eye and say i seek your friendship you'll find it here i seek your friendship you'll find it here and guess what on monday morning you're fresh i mean how beautiful is that mm-hmm. 
small organizations are often a lot, especially I'm, I'm just thinking of us in particular, like a family, but what family do you know that doesn't have those issues? But how many families do you know that don't address any of those issues and let them fester? And how much of an issue do they cause? A lot of a lot of families do let it fester, but most families at some point will have to address it. And it's it's interesting you say a family because I use that metaphor in this third book, Healing the Wounds, Forgiveness and Reconciliation in the Workplace, is that your your fam your work family is a family. But guess what? At home, if if as a as a father of, of two, when one of my children would fight, it, if it started to fester at some point, it's like you guys need to make up. And I would I would facilitate them making up. And eventually they would. It may take a couple of days or a couple of hours. But guess what? As a leader in my organization, I'm somewhat the parent. So if two of my employees, if I sense there's some conflict going on, I have to play the parent. I have to facilitate forgiveness and reconciliation. Because if your company is not a culture of forgiveness and reconciliation, again, I think you'll be mentally effective. So you've got the books. The third one's coming out. We're looking forward to that. What other media have you used to get this message out? Uh, is that in person? Is that, I mean, obviously we know the, the, the video format. What what sort of venues have you been able to pre present all of this at? Like where, where, where do people see you most regularly, you think? It's a great question. I do a lot of keynote speeches. The building cathedrals, the power purpose continues to be probably the most popular keynote. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished doing that keynote last Tuesday at a bank. I do lots of work with uh, bankers and they love the metaphors of leadership of Christopher Wren as a banker. Do you get out behind your desk and ask the teller, which oh, by the way, happens to be the most important person in the bank and ask that teller, what is she doing or he's doing? Well, I'm working. I'm a, I'm, I'm a teller. No, what are you really doing? Well, I'm working here at the bank. No, what you're really doing is you're really building this cathedral called a bank. So they love the metaphor of leadership, the fire. I'll even tell banks and other organizations below your moniker or whatever your company name is, you should put fire department because banks are in the fire business. People that go through fires have to go to the bank and get a home equity or whatever. I went through the, I had to go to the bank. Number third metaphor is the cathedral. Customer loyalty is built at the cathedral builder level. There's a lot of banks in town. There's a lot of other organizations. There's other videographer companies. If you do not see your company as a cathedral, if you don't see your customers as a cathedral, they're going somewhere else. Then engagement of your bank employees. So I do a lot of work with banks, a lot of work with other corporate executives, the building cathedrals, do tons of work in, in prison systems, uh, reentry is a hot topic right now. How does, how does what you all, not only is it a hot topic, but how does the soft skills message, the idea of finding that power of purpose so important from a re-entry standpoint? From a great question. Uh, from a re-entry standpoint, if you do not see yourself as a cathedral when you exit the correctional facility, you will not get a job. If you do not see the company you're interviewing with as a cathedral, you will not get the job. If you do not see yourself as a, as a cathedral builder, if you're laying bricks, they're not hiring bricklayers. They may hire wall builders if the economy is good and there's lots of jobs out there, but they are only hiring for, for guarantee they're hiring cathedral builders. So from a reentry perspective, the folks in our correctional facilities are not the same as they were 25 or 30 years ago. I spent a lot of time in correctional facilities. They look like you. 
They look like me. They've gone through tough times. Sure, you still have some hardened criminals out there that are bad boys and bad girls. I mean, you don't want to be around. But the majority of folks that I work with in there have made mistakes like I have, like you have, by the grace of God. I'm not there from some of the crazy stuff I did in school and college. Um, <laughs> but but it's a different message. And you've got in the in here in uh, Warren County, uh, Jailer Harmon and those folks, oh, my gosh, one of the – the most progressive correctional facilities in the state is here in Bowling Green mm-hmm. and next door Eric Vaughn in Franklin, Kentucky. There's a press release about on a weekly basis about the unique and inspiring stuff that they're doing. I mean, they brought you in to do the soft skills piece and you're talking about sir, a regional jail. You're not, we're not talking about a prison. Exactly. It's, it's because they even, even on a short term change of mentality or, you know, it, some for some people and i imagine for a lot of people not even reaching the prison level but ending up in jail is kind of a you know a a rock bottom experience to to take that clean slate and you're you're, you know they're bringing you in and bringing others in to help people kind of provide a new foundation for how to you know rebuild well they they understand culture and when and when uh jailer Harmon asked me when i asked him to do my program and he said we're going to do it but let me ask you a question. Will you come and, and train my correctional officers? And how much will you charge me to do it? And I went, I'll do it. No additional cost. I'll do it. Because he said, and it was a it was a, a profound moment for me. So from now on, what I do is I throw that into my, my fee. It increases the efficacy overall, I imagine. That's exactly. Because he, he, what he was saying is, and he's dead on, is if my correctional officers are not um, developing and, and, and uh, modeling these behaviors, then how can we expect our, our, our prisoners, our inmates to do it? And he's dead on. Uh, I had mm-hmm. coffee with the commissioner of corrections several years ago, and there had just been a riot, I think it was at Eddyville. And I asked him, I said, Commissioner, what would you say would be the number one reason for a riot in a correctional institute without hesitation sam he said lack of leadership and i went excuse me he said lack of leadership i said explain i said explain he said greg you've been and sam you've been with me yeah he said you've been in the yeah you you dragged us cameras and gear and everything in into one of the largest and kind of more secure prisons in the state too Exactly. To film these uh, moments, to film these keynotes, and to to make sure that these corrections programs uh, feel realistic, because they're all uh, interview-wise, keynote-wise, um, and even some of the green screen stuff is all themed around corrections. And as opposed to just you know st- staying in our area, doing the whole thing in a studio, how much more effective is it to be able to essentially say, no, this was presented at this prison. Exactly. You know this prison. This is ex- this was presented here. It's you know you know a hundred yards away from where you sleep. It's, this well, is legitimate. Exactly. And let me and I'll ask you what he asked me. He said, Greg, and I'm asking you now, Sam. When you and I went into the prison and walked through the yard, was there communication between the inmates and the correctional in the guards? Was there communication? Was there communication between? Did you see interaction between the inmates and the correctional guards? I did. I mean, and usually when I walk through, they're saying "Good morning, how are you?" It's it's usually pretty short, but it's communication. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yes, I did." He said, "That's good." He said, when you walk through the prison yard and there's not communication between the guards and the inmates, there's going to be a riot. 
Mm-hmm. And as soon as he said that, my jaw dropped. I went, wow. because That makes sense, though. Well, in corporate America, I'm sitting there going, if you walk through the factory floor and there's not communication between the supervisor and her or his employees, there's going to be a riot. Whether directly related to the job or not, even just person level, small talk type exactly. stuff. It's, and the riot will be in the form of a strike, uh, a, a sick out, uh, something. You know, my mom and dad were both factory workers and there was a strike at their facility. It wasn't about pay. It wasn't about benefits. You know what it was about? Lack of turkey and lack of ham because every Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mom and dad used to get a turkey or a ham for Christmas and Thanksgiving. They coordinated, mm-hmm. you get a turkey, I'll get a ham for Thanksgiving, I'll get a turkey, you get a ham, for, whatever. They coordinated that. Guess mm-hmm. what? To save money, the factory took away turkeys and hams, and there was a riot. And the managers... A, riot, the a, a turkey, the turkey and ham riot. Well, they never realized it. The only people mm-hmm. that realized it were the employees, the managers of the factory, thought it was because of pay and benefits. And maybe they even said it's because pay and benefits. It's the same reason someone in a hospital sues the hospital over what they perceive to be malfeasance when you know what it was? It was the way you treated my mother or my dad in the nursing home. Had you treated them the way they should have been treated and someone would have walked to me and said, hey, listen, do you want to sue? I'm like, ah, no. They did a good job. My mom fell or whatever. Because guess what? It's the soft skills. My wife used to work at a nursing home. Some gentleman thought someone stole his leather jacket. Mm-hmm. My wife was convinced no one stole his leather jacket, but guess what she did? She went to Kmart and bought a pleather jacket. Not a leather jacket, a pleather jacket. A pleather jacket. And took it back to him and said, here's your jacket. He was satisfied. Mm-hmm. She saved that hospital or that nursing home probably millions of dollars in a lawsuit. Because guess what? He was okay. His family said, thank you. So if he fell five or six weeks later, and they probably could have legitimately maybe had a complaint, they didn't because guess what? My wife bought the leather jacket. It's the soft skills. It's connecting with our customers. And the manager in me never recognizes that. The leader in me says, you know, go spend a hundred bucks on a pleather jacket or whatever. It'll save us a million bucks. Wow. It's the small things. It's really, it's so, it's so wild. And it's the customer loyalty. It's the way you connect is community involvement, which I think with soft skills, we've narrowly defined soft skills. Most folks that define soft skills show up to work on time, basic work skills, communication. Soft skills is joining the chamber of commerce. Soft skills is doing what you do, Sam, in the community and when I look at the mm-hmm. image magazines and I see you and Vidmonster out there that's soft skills going to funeral homes when someone in your in your friendship uh, passes away or their parents or their uncle pass away and going to a funeral home to visitation is a pain in the royal butt mm-hmm. but guess what you've got to do it you do it for the right reasons, but it, it can be an inconvenience. But guess what? My wife can tell you when her father passed away, she can tell you every friend of hers who came to the visitation. When my dad passed away about seven years ago, my kids can tell you everyone in their class, only about two or three of them, came to their friend's grandfather's visitation 
stood in line for 30 minutes, sometimes an hour if it's a big funeral, and basically hugging my son, hugging my daughter, and saying, we're thinking about you. And guess what? Funerals are phenomenal places for forgiveness and reconciliation. When my dad passed away, guess who sent four sets of flowers? The guy who fired me. Wow. The company that I work for, he was in charge. I know he was because he approved every expenditure. They sent four sets of flowers. And that's when forgiveness and reconciliation with the guy who fired me started. Wow. It just permeates everything that we do. I mean, that, that that's why I think for us that soft skills message has been such a um, an important element to uh, to what we do is because it's so all encompassing and because it works in so many different facets. And that's so, why people people don't leave companies; they leave they leave people. Mm-hmm. And, and the culture you've created here, Sam, with all, with those five or six folks, and I know you've got others running around today doing filming, but the five or six folks downstairs in the studio that got up, that greeted me, they were happy to be here. And people don't leave companies, they leave people. You think about the jobs that you've had and you left, it was probably because of someone like the guy that fired me. It was it was time to leave Chuck E. Cheese. Just well okay. Did you know you know I had worked there at one point? I love Chuck E. Cheese. No, I didn't know you I love that basic pizza there, but most of the time and (laughs) it's a a cracker and tomato sauce, a little bit of cheese, toast it, done. (laughs) But people don't leave companies for the most part, they leave people. So if you're out there arrogantly thinking, well, they won't leave my company, they get paid too much darn money, they will leave for a job making a heck of a lot less money if they can go build a cathedral, quote unquote, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And millennials, I'm 55 years old. I'm definitely not a millennial, but I work with a lot of millennials. And the research with millennials is they need to work for a company where they can help build a cathedral Mm -hmm. and volunteer even for less money. So guess what? This purpose thing that we talk about is a retention strategy. Mm -hmm. If you're listening out there and you're hiring younger folks, you better let them know it's more than just doing a video for Greg Coker. Let's go visit some companies Greg Coker has worked for and worked with. And now look what they're doing to be more productive. That video we produced was just a video. It's a great video. It was a good tool. It's not the cathedral. The cathedral are the employees that are benefiting from what Greg Coker's taught them based on this video that we produced for him. They will stay with your company. Mm-hmm. It's more than just being in the video business about building that cathedral. It's about the function too. That's something that we talk about. It's a, a, a good video is great. It's, it's like having a, you know, a cherry red Corvette. It's nice. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean anything if you don't drive it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And eventually if you, if you don't use it, there's no, there's no point. So at this point, I'd like to pivot and rapid fire you with 20 questions. How's that sound? Okay. So these are going to be, we've, we've gotten to know a lot more about, you know, your message and forgiveness and reconciliation, building cathedrals, soft skills, but these are more about you. None of them are too personal, but they're pretty quick. Boxer briefs, you know, those uh, things like uh, yeah, I mean, we can we can add that one. I don't think that was in there, but I think that, that, that would be a good one to start with. All right, you ready? Let's go. First one, what is the best piece of advice you've received? You can get anything out of life you want if you just simply help enough other people get what they want. Zig Ziglar. That's great. Do you have any pets? I have three grand dogs. <laughs> uh, 
Chihuahua, a Golden Retriever, actually, a, I'm sorry, a Cocker Spaniel, and a Boston Terrier. And I say they're grand dogs because they're all my kids' dogs, and all of a sudden, they're now our dogs. You just inherited the dogs. Inherited the dogs. But we love <laughs> all three of them. Now we can't get rid of them because we love them so much. Gotcha. What is your favorite movie ever? Do you have one that just stands out for you? Well, I tell folks I only went to college for two reasons. Uh, I, my dad raised tobacco, and I didn't want to do that the rest of my life, and I saw Animal House. And when I saw Animal House, I, <laughs> I thought, I've never heard of a fraternity, but I want some of that. So I would say um, Animal House, The Big Chill, um, Caddyshack. I love comedies. Mm-hmm. I love comedies. I love One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, I mean, i got a lot of favorite movies, but probably Animal House uh, that's probably one of the top ones. Awesome. How would you describe yourself as a teenager in three words? Uh, I was a teenager. We got into a lot of trouble, but it was good trouble. It was throwing water balloons and the, and the people in the neighborhood. We, we were, I say terrorist, um, <laughs> they loved us. They realized we were a handful with throwing water balloons and doing mischief. We were mischievous, but we were good kids. And I think mm-hmm. that's something, a challenge that folks now, as I get older, we need to recognize that kids are kids. Let them be kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, allowing that opportunity. I'm I'm privileged that I grew up in a neighborhood where uh, on our street, it was all kids relatively within like five years of our age. And all of the, like, on, when you turn onto our street, the front couple houses. And so all like 12 to 15 of us, it was just like this gang of kids who caused so much trouble and played four square in the street and baseball in the backyard and all that. I think kids, kids need that experience. And I'm concerned that with the advent of technology, that's something that's being missed down on exactly i totally agree and i'll give a shout out to uh so a family uh that i grew up with they're all lawyers and doctors now but they taught us how to build a ufo and what we did is we went to mcdonald's and got the straws and we put the straws we intersected the straws together to make like a little cross we got birthday candles and cut slits in the straws and put birthday candles on this cross section we went to the dry cleaners and got the laundry bag. And then we taped the laundry bag around that cross of straws with the birthday candles, lit the candles, heat rises. Well, guess what? That mm-hmm. laundry bag doesn't weigh anything. All of a sudden it just took off. It's like a hot air balloon. It was a hot air balloon. Nice. And the, and we did it at night, obviously. And, and everyone in our little community would call and cite UFOs. We actually got a little bit more creative. We went instead of the birthday or instead of the uh, straws and the birthday candles, we got balsa wood at the local craft store. We put major candles. We, we take laundry bags together. We had about 20 laundry bags. We got on my friend's parent station wagon. So the UFO went from being just a little UFO to being as big as this room. Oh my goodness. And we got about 30 calls about UFOs. That was the kind of fun we got into. Mm-hmm. And, and you're dead on with technology. These kids are not getting out and just being kids anymore. Mm-hmm. And, play, and that's where you learn soft skills. You mm-hmm. learn soft skills through playing sports. You learn soft skills through working on your neighbor's farm. You learn soft skills from playing with other kids in the neighborhood. And if you're mm-hmm. behind your iPhone or Facebook all day long, including adults, you're not developing those soft skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that lead into, and you might have a different one than this, what's your biggest pet peeve? 
people that treat other people like second-class citizens, especially in business, um, that, that, that head leader of the company not going out and telling the janitor. I tell folks in my workshops, my grandfather was an ER doctor, and every Sunday he, he would come home from working at the hospital, and he'd have his greens on, and I'd get up in his lap, and I was probably two years old, and I'd tell my grand, I said, Grandfather, tell me some more stories, and he'd tell me some great stories. I love going to my grandfather's house. Well, about four or five years after that, I'm now five or six, seven years old, and my parents had to break the news to me. They said, Greg, your dad, your grandfather's not a doctor. Your grandfather is the janitor of the hospital. No one ever told me he was a doctor. I assume because he worked in a hospital, he was so happy about the hospital, he just had, and he worked in an ER room, an emergency room, he had to be a doctor. He wasn't. But the way the doctors treated my grandfather made a kid think that his grandfather was a doctor. So I use that example in mm -hmm. companies. Would your employees' grandkids think they're the owner of the business by the mm -hmm. way you treat them? Well, you've, you've said in, in numerous ones uh, that the most important member of an organization is not the top-level person. It's the janitor. It's the janitor. Mm -hmm. It's the teller. It's the person who sweeps your floor. It's the person when you walk into a hotel and you check in and that lady is cleaning the window. Shame on me if I don't take time to walk over there to her and say, excuse me, ma'am, this, win this window looks great. And the way I just select where I stay at a hotel is based on the cleanliness of the windows. And thank you for what you do. I did that only one, I've only done that one time, shame on me. And it was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the lady looked at me and she goes, you make me feel good. And, I'll, and I started crying. I was like, I should make people feel good every day. So pet peeve is definitely folks that, that don't take that opportunity to make people feel that good every day. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a lighter question. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate. Milk chocolate. Uh, if Dark chocolate could... takes like x lax for me. When I was yeah. a kid, I, I was a sneaky kid, and my, yeah. my neighbor's uh, <laughs> grandfather lived with him. And I was in the bathroom, and I was, I was going through, I was snooping. And I saw what a, what I thought was was chocolate. <laughs> I was obviously two or three years old. It wasn't chocolate. It was excellent. Oh no! I ate the whole bar, <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that. Obviously, nobody else in the family will ever forget it. But needless to say, I don't like dark chocolate after that experience. Uh, just pretty much ruined the experience for you. <laughs> but you're missing out on all the antioxidants and all that. I'm not a. I don't really have a preference when it comes to chocolate. Um, if you could be from any specific decade or era historically, um, other than right now, what would it be? I like the roaring, roaring twenties. You know that part mm -hmm. of kind of a cool style. It's a cool style. I, I love to dress up. You know, my mom and dad. God bless them. My dad was a factory worker and a farmer. Um, he didn't have that opportunity to dress up, so for that reason, I really like to to wear nice clothes and nice shoes. And mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Roaring Twenties decade right there was, was cool. Good style, like you said. Nice. If you weren't in the industry you're in right now, what would you be doing? Like, if, if, what, what else could you see yourself doing? Well, I'm actually intrigued by corrections. Uh, you know, the correctional facilities are different places. What Jailer Harm and other people are doing here locally, I'm very intrigued by the folks in the correctional facilities. They should be universities. I mean, we, we should, I would love to develop a university setting for 
jails, and prisons. And the folks that are serving life sentences, to recruit them and say, would you like to be a professor? Would you like to be a teacher? And let them, they're gonna be there the rest of their life, then why not let them teach the younger folks coming in the soft skills, other trades, mm -hmm. and make it more of a university setting? I like that. What is, uh, do you Spotify? I don't, I'm pretty low tech, you know. that's why I use you guys. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll modify the question. Do you have a, a favorite artist or favorite uh, favorite song or some? Essentially, what it's asking is what's on your top Spotify playlist right now. So do you have a do you have I'm a, a, a couple Jimmy favorites? Buffett fanatic. Yeah, um, Jimmy <laughs> Buffett changed my life. Uh, the way one of my favorite lines is a Jimmy Buffett remake song that he said, "I want to go where the weather suits my clothes." And Jimmy Buffett, I started listening to Buffett when I was probably. 15 years old and he has literally uh, changed my outlook, uh, my clothing, my I have a boat, I love the ocean and Buffett, I've got every Buffett album so he's definitely on the on my playlist. Awesome. Uh, if you could have any three people dead or alive over for dinner, who would that be? Uh, Jesus would definitely be the top. Um, great question uh, probably a f maybe a former president I'm trying to think which one um, take your pick yeah you know, my father obviously my dad my dad passed away seven years I'd love to be able to mm -hmm. you know go back and ask him questions I didn't ask and thank him for for the fabric of my life tobacco farming that I that I hated as a kid um, but now I realize what a value that was for, for my family. Mm -hmm. If your house was on fire and you could grab only two objects, so assuming every living thing gets out, what two things would you run back in to get? How many two particular items? I don't, I don't think I would go back in. No. I don't have anything. Uh, like if all the, the my, my wife and, Kids are gone now. Uh, my three dogs, if they're out, then um, yeah, I really, I really don't have it. My computer, I guess, the, I guess my laptop. Yeah, that'd be they're, that'd be helpful being a writer. Yeah, speaker, every, having all yeah everything's on my laptop. Everything's on my desktop, unfortunately. Uh, so I definitely probably, yeah, I'd go back in and get my computer. Mm -hmm. uh, this one's going to be interesting since you are so involved in what you're doing. Name a book that you've read that positively shaped you. I mean, there's a lot, it sounds like you've read, um, but is there a one particular that stands out as one that you continue to go back to? Well, the Bible is, I've not read that from word to word, unfortunately. I, I continue to learn from it. Um, and be inspired by it. It's a mm -hmm. love letter. Um, and it, it, as if when I was courting my wife, um, the letters that I wrote and the phone calls, the time I spent, uh, and I should definitely read that love letter more. Um, I like Viktor Frankl's work on um, uh, the way man thinketh. Um, you know, he, he was in a, a Nazi German camp in what he noticed some people died that shouldn't have died and some folks didn't die that should have died because they were so sick. But his basic hypothesis was the 
ones that didn't die had a reason to live. They need to get back and see their family. They need yeah. to write that book, which is what he what got him through it. He needed to write his book, which he wrote it. So I typically go back to anything Victor Frankel has written. Um, probably one of my favorites. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Uh, great question. These are 20 great questions. Mm-hmm. That's why I've employed them. You really get to deep dive on a person. You get to talk yeah. about their expertise, and then you get to yeah. dive in on them a little bit. I like. What's, what's the Canadian that? That's the comedian that did. Uh, that does a lot of the. Uh, I can't. I'm having a brain freeze here. The, Canadian comedian. Uh, well, the Canadian actor that uh, uh, the crazy guy that did. I'm talking about Seth Rogen. Not Shrek. Uh, but oh, Michael Myers. No, no, no. The other guy. The other Canadian. <laughs> Another Canadian that's um, uh, that did the Dr. Seuss characters. The Dr. Seuss characters? Oh, um, Jim Carrey? Yeah, Jim Carrey. You'd be Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> um, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Uh, if you had a spirit animal, what would it be? What would the animal be? Had a what animal? A spirit animal. Do you know what a spirit animal is? Uh. Essentially, a lot of people have a, a feeling or a particular draw towards a certain type of like a certain animal or like or like the characteristics of an animal. Like, for example, a um, certain business owner might say, oh, I identify with the characteristics of a lion or oh, yeah. things. Yeah, I like it. I like dogs. I'm a dog person. <clears throat> Just the loyalty of, of my dog. Uh, it's the love of the dog. I love horses. And just the majestic qualities of a horse and the strength, but probably between a between. A, you know, I love fish, but probably probably dog slash horse. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite TV show? You have an all time favorite. All time favorite TV show. I love uh, Cheers. Was one of my favorite shows. Um, a, lot of, a lot of great old TV shows out there, but probably probably Cheers. One of my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, best gift you've ever received. You know, Christmases when when we were small, I can remember. You know, the, the wagon uh, kid. I can remember. You know, the Tonka trucks when when everything was just bright. Uh, and then I can remember, unfortunately, as you got a little bit older, how sort of Christmases were sort of downers. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, you mean it's over? You know, so probably the best gift. You know, it's just being that kid. You know, a friend of mine's on Facebook this weekend, and his his wife, uh, and his talking about her husband and and, and this particular gentleman. Um, his father owned a furniture store in my hometown, and I remember going in that furniture store and seeing my friend sitting on a sofa with a stuffed Christmas uh, stuffed Santa Claus, mm -hmm. and I wanted that Santa Claus. And little did I know his dad that owned the furniture store had bought probably a truckload of those little stuffed Santa Clauses. Mm -hmm. He walked over to my dad and me and gave me a stuffed Santa Claus, just like my friend that I was staring at on it. Wow. And, I, and I read that and I, and I typed that on Facebook this weekend. As I'm typing it, I start crying. And my wife, I tell my wife the story and she goes, are you crying? And I went, I am crying. Mm -hmm. You're a softy. Well, I'm a softie at 55 years old. At 55 years old, I don't worry about getting nervous before I speak. I worry about crying. Because Jim Valvano said it best. Jim Valvano 
as he's accepting the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award in front of millions of people. And that's everyone's uh, homework assignment out there mm-hmm. in podcast world is Google Jim Valvano. The first YouTube video you'll see is Valvano when he was a coach at NC State and they beat Houston Cougars the last three minutes of that game, which is in the Smithsonian, I think, as the best basketball game in the history of the world. The second video you'll see is him accepting the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award, and he's died of cancer. And he only lives about another 30 days, but he said, if I could do it all over again, I would do three things. I would think every day, I would laugh every day, and I would have my emotions move to tears every day. Think, laugh, and cry. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was talking about a boohoo cry. I think he was talking about a cry yesterday morning when I'm actually typing that Facebook post and I'm going back to my buddy Scott's dad giving me that Santa Claus and I tear up and start crying. That's a heck of a day. Mm-hmm. And if, so if I could do those three, three things based on what Valvano helped me understand is a great day. Think, mm-hmm. laugh, and cry. I was about to say, if it's a, it's a sad cry, you probably shouldn't do that that every day. But those, you know, um, have those as we've as we've grown our business. Those like moments of oh, we're coming into something real, um, sort of moments or those realizations. Those are healthy. I call it a Holy Spirit cry. Mm-hmm. You know, at the, at the Holy Divinity, uh, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The least understood and least preached, I think, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is is when I have those teary moments, a good teary moment. I think you know that's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So they go, you know, that's good stuff. That's love. Got one more question for you. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Flying. Flying. This is pretty pretty standard. Pretty good superpower. <laughs> I, don't, I don't enjoy. My wife's a flight attendant, and I'm not a big flyer. I don't enjoy flying in an airplane that much. Mm-hmm. But I would enjoy if I could fly myself to look down and have that freedom. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of that uh, when you're when you're flying a drone. It's kind of fun. <laughs> kind of fun to do. Well, I've got a Jeep. I drove my Jeep today. You looked at the window and said, it's your Jeep. You know, I, I mm-hmm. love taking the top down with the top fairly on. Uh, you know, listening to some Buffett, heading to the lake. You know, that's that's the closest to flying and, and riding to my boat on the lake is, is that's flying to me. That's peace. That's great. Smoking a good cigar every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show today and doing this. This is absolutely fantastic. We love having awesome guests on Tuesdays at two. I think this is the longest episode we've ever had, but you and I, we, we talk a lot. We're talkers. You're onto something. Thank you very much for having me and, and, uh, good luck with everything you're doing. You're doing some great stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. So for those out there who want to continue following Tuesdays at 2, be sure to follow us here on YouTube or Facebook as we continue uh, to grow the show and make it into something. Uh, Again, thank you, Greg, for being here. Um, Stay tuned for more to come from Tuesdays at 2. And everybody have a great and uh, prosperous rest of your day.